Hey, before we get started, quick shout out to High Mountain Seasonings in Riverton, Wyoming. They make Radcast Outdoors possible. And at the end of the show, David and Patrick will bring you their Radcast Outdoors recipe of the week. It's brought to you by High Mountain Seasonings. And if you're a fisherman, you're going to love this one. So make sure to listen to the end of the podcast for that. And I'd encourage you to try out these recipes, then send them in. Let us know what seasonings you're using from High Mountain Seasonings and maybe send us some photos. You can email those into tips at county 10. If you're thinking a holiday gift giving, maybe you got somebody with a birthday coming up. High Mountain Seasonings is a great option, especially if they love to cook dozens of seasonings. They're in big box stores. They're in small mom and pop stores, wherever you shop, or you can order them online at highmountainjerky.com. That's H-I-M-T-N jerky.com, H-I-M-T-N jerky.com. And right now, if you use promo code HMS10, you get 10% off your next order. So highmountainjerky.com, HMS10 for 10% off your next order. It's a Wyoming company, High Mountain Seasonings. Enjoy the show. Fish on. Hey, Radcast is on. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. From the Porter's 10Cast Studio. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Welcome to Radcast Outdoors, hunting and fishing and everything in between. I'm Patrick Edwards and I got David Merrill, my co-host with me. Hey everybody. And uh, we've got a special guest today. Um, His name is Pat O'Grady and he's from Cheyenne, which is my hometown. And um, we're going to talk to him a little bit because he started a uh, fishing lure company uh, called PK Lures, and I'm quite familiar with it. It's a it's a great company. Uh, they make a lot of awesome products, especially for the ice fishing season, which is coming up uh, very quickly around here because it's like been today. super cold. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk to Pat a little bit about ice fishing, about angling in general, and just kind of learn about the journey that it took for you know a small uh, Wyoming company to kind of hit it on the national and kind of global stage now. So, uh, Pat, thanks for joining us today. You bet. So I guess uh, the first place I want to start is, uh, you know, what what was the first thing that kind of got you into designing fishing lures? Well, I actually, I didn't start designing fishing lures. I, I actually started designing uh, bottom bouncers. I used to guide up at Seminole Reservoir, and uh, Jim Cabela, he owned Cabela's, and uh, a few of the people that he worked with was up there. And they were having a hard time finding fish, and the state park ranger told him to come up and talk to me because I guided. He said, you know, this guy does pretty good. And they came up and talked to me, and I told them the next morning that, you know, they could follow me, and I'd take them to some spots and and uh, see if I could get them a few fish. Well, shortly thereafter, I started fiddle-farting around uh, with bottom bouncers, and I designed a bottom bouncer that you could adjust the weight on. You know, you could put a half ounce or an ounce and a half or three ounce, you know, just, I mean, simply pop it on over a kink in the wire. And I took them down to Cabela's because one of the guys with Jim Cabela's that day was the buyer for the fishing department. And I called him up and told him I had something I wanted to show him. And, and I took him down and showed him to him. So that's kind of where the, the actual, I guess, designing a fishing product started was, was right there. Uh, the lures came a little bit later. Actually, after I, I designed a pleated overshoot for ice fishing, and uh, 
I took it down and showed her to Cabela's, and they took those also and did really, really well with them. Now the, so, and that was called, what, the Ice Spider? Isn't that what it was called? Yes, Ice Spiders. Yes. Yep, so the people out there that know that have had a pair of those, they're quite amazing because I, I know midwinter that ice is slick and you know it's nice to have something to kind of help hold you on the ice so I remember seeing those and knowing people have had a pair I never got to have one but um, pretty darn effective so so Pat yeah, overall uh, guiding fishing what what what's your take on that being a fishing guide oh uh, you know a lot of people think it's uh job to kill for and it is it is it is really nice to do something that you're you know that you love that you're passionate about and I really I, I really enjoyed it you know what I mean but I'll tell you it's uh, when I when I quit guiding I actually started a landscape company a sprinkler installation business here in Cheyenne a few years after that, after I quit guiding, and uh, I thought I died and went to heaven. <laughs> let, let me let me guess, you got to actually go fishing then? <laughs> well, you know, any anything that you do, you know, for, and I wasn't producing a living with this by any means, okay? I mean, in Wyoming, that's a you're just not going to do it. You know, this isn't like being on, you know, uh, the Great Lakes where you've got the salmon or the Puget Sound or somewhere in Alaska. A lot of the guides in Alaska that guide up there in the summer, they actually move to Costa Rica and, you know, uh, and stuff and do some more guiding there in the winter time because, you know, it's just not enough to to keep you alive and going, but uh, I didn't necessarily need to do it to keep me alive. I was doing it because I like to do it, you know, and I spent my summers up there anyway, and I thought, well, I can use this as a means to, you know, pay for a few tanks of gas and and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, I and- mean, and you spent a lot of time on Seminole, and I know you're you're pretty well versed in a number of the different Wyoming reservoirs, whether it be Seminole, Glendo. Um, I mean, you've kind of fished all over Wyoming. Well, I guided at Glendo uh, strictly night fishing for the the month of May. You know, that's all I did at Glendo was just every May. I would guide at night for trophy fish at Glendo. And then come the 1st of June, we, when the kids and stuff got out of school, we would move up to Seminole. And then I'd stay up there till usually around, around the third week, second or third week October, depending on how nice the weather was to me. Right. So um, as far as like fishing lure design um, goes, you've, you've got a couple of products that I'm very familiar with and I catch a lot of fish on. Um, I want you to just kind of give us the background on the, the flutter fish, because that, that one's my favorite. I mean, if I'm going to take a, a spoon out and try to catch walleye or trout or anything really, um, even tiger muskies I've caught on them. Uh, tell me a little bit about what went into designing the flutter fish and kind of how you came up with that. Well, I uh, I used to seine minnows up at Seminole because it got so expensive for night crawlers. Back then when I used to guide up there, the limit was 20 walleyes per person per day. And I would go through, you know, 10, 12 dozen night crawlers a day. And it just, I mean, and then keeping all those night crawlers alive, and it's just a pain. You know what I mean? Yep. And pretty expensive. So I built uh, one spring. I built a four by four uh, cage out of a PVC, and I 
used it to put minnows in. I had a lid with a lock on the top of it, and I would put it in the lake. And I would go out and sane the Emerald Lake Shiners. And then I would bring them in and fill that thing up to where I had, you know, four, five, six, seven hundred dozen shiners in there. And every morning I'd pull around and, and uh, get in there and get, you know, two, three hundred minnows out and go fishing. And I would run those on worm harnesses, you know, hook one in the lips with the first hook and hook one in the lips with the second hook and, and run those behind the bottom bouncers and actually did better on those than I did night crawlers. And it didn't cost me anything except for the time to to go get the, the shiners, you know. But uh, those shiners were pretty hard to get until the water temperature got to a certain temperature, you know, usually around 68 degrees, 68 to 70. And then you could go into the back bays of uh, anywhere on the lake and round them up back there. You just don't, you got to have a place that you can block them. And I think that that's the same position for for your predator fish and prey is, you know, I mean, you start getting out as, say, you know, a trout or a walleye and get out on suspended water chasing bait, you're going to spend 10 times more energy than you are going to get. So if you can, someplace you can trap them up against the wall or, or something like that, then you're a lot more effective. And I used to go out when the water temperature got right and I'd have, I'd have enough minnows to, to last, I mean, a whole month. I mean, I could go out and I'd have two 35 gallon live wells on that Lund Baron plum. I mean, I don't think there was three gallons of water in there, you know, <laughs> and I'd, I'd do that a couple times and come fill that cage up. And, and I noticed how, these minnows would react when they're, you know, when they're hurt and stunned and stuff. And I used to ice fish Diamond Lake a lot when I was younger. And we laid on the ice and jigged lures. And I would watch the lures, the action of the lures. And, you know, we used, you know, cast masters, crocodiles, KO wobblers, Swedish mimples, everything. And I watched the action of the lures and the action of the, the reaction to the lure from the fish. Because, I mean, back, back then there was a lot of, a big trout in that lake and they'd come in and move in on these lures and it was, it was really cool, you know. And I seen those minnows for a number of years then. I started fiddle farting with, you know, different blade designs and stuff to see if I could get something that would kind of mimic what those Emerald Lake Shiners would do when they were, say, stunned, because they would kind of turn on their side and flutter down a little bit, and then they'd swim off a little bit and then flutter down a little bit again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I started messing around with trying to design something that would somewhat give me that kind of action. And I happened to to make the first butterfish and took it out in my hot tub and jigged it a couple times and I said, This is it. This this is what I'm looking for. So I made some up and uh started fishing with them and that lure actually was the first lure that I ever caught my limit of walleyes on through the ice in Wyoming so I mean and I knew it was good okay I knew from what I seen the action that it was producing that it was going to be good we never know exactly how good it's going to be until until we 
put it through the test, you know. And I'll tell you, that, that lure has absolutely uh, blown me away now for many, many years. Yeah, I've and... learned just recently, the last four or five years, how to more effectively fish them in the open water to where it's absolutely, I'll cast them out, let them flutter down, rip them up six, eight feet, let it flutter. And I rip my rod vertical, you know, six, eight feet, let it down. Six, I do that three, four times and reel it a little. And if there, are, and you'll always catch a few fish doing that, sometimes a lot of fish doing that. But I learned the last few years that I would cast it out, let it sink down, you know, to a specified depth, maybe a, you know, 10 to 15 foot. I put my rod tip right down by the water. And I pull it back 18 inches, take the reel of the handle, pop it, pop it, and I reel each pop in as I'm going. If you try that and see what that lure's doing, it's absolutely mind-blowing what that lure does. And I found that there's days when I do that, when I'm not already catching anything, and I do that, and it's absolutely crazy the fish I catch. I, I really I really like it. Yeah, and one of the things I can attest to, I, I went with you one spring to uh... – it was either crystal or granite. I can't remember which one right outside of Cheyenne there. And you were working one and I was watching how you did it. And I, I kid you not guys in five minutes, he had like a five or six pound rainbow. And then he had a nice lake trout. I mean, it was just like one fish after the other. And I, I've done that up here, um, in this country, you know, and you catch a, a bruiser, you know, rainbow trout that's mid 20 inch, you know, 24, 25 inches long, it smacks that thing. It's exciting. And I mean, (laughs) it's pretty fun. I've also caught tiger muskies that way with that method that you're talking about where you cast it out, you let it drop and flutter down to the bottom and then you start ripping it up. And those, those pike and tiger muskies really like that presentation. So do the walleyes. Every fish does, you know, it just, I went down to Cabo San Lucas and uh, with a couple friends, and we went out fishing this rocky reef called the Point. It's up the shore right out of Cabo, about uh, maybe three or four miles. And I was casting big flutter fish in there. You know, I mean the two, two-and-a-half-ounces. Mm-hmm. And the, the charter captain was telling me real faster, faster, faster. And I did. I did that about five times. And I'd have, you know, eight, 10, 12 fish chasing it. But none of them would, would, would commit. And I, after doing that about five times, I told him, I said, that's how you fish. I said, let me show you how I fish this lure. And I cast it out. We were probably in you could see it was 25, maybe 30 feet deep. And I'd let that lure just flutter down like a wounded fish, and fish would come start looking at it right away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I would give that thing a great big huge rip up and let it start fluttering down. And when I did that, those, I mean, it, it was fish after fish after fish. I could not count the fish I caught that day. And I mean, I don't even know what half of them were. You know what I mean? It was, <laughs> it's absolute blast when you're catching six, seven, eight, nine pound saltwater fish like that. And I mean, they fight like 25 pound freshwater fish. It was, and I'll tell you, every action creates a reaction, you know? So if you got something that's, you know, creating a good action, you're going to get a good reaction. Right. And one of the things I've found that a lot of walleye guys do that I don't do, but there's a lot that fish so slow that, and I mean, there's a time for it, but 
some people fish so slow that they just don't get those reaction strikes. And I feel like your your lures, like the flutterfish and the PK spoon, they really get the fish to kind of have that primal reaction of, I'm going to eat that. Yeah, it does. I was over at Wheatland Tree. It's been uh, four years ago, ice fishing. With uh, There was four of us. And I was actually fishing a quarter ounce PK spoon. No bait. I very seldom use bait ever on these things. And we had been catching some nice fish. You know, I mean, four to six pound rainbows. And uh, I got in about eight, nine foot of water. I dropped that thing down, and I started, I mean, I literally was ripping at 18 inches. And as absolutely, as soon as it would come to a stop on the downfall, I would rip it again. I mean, it was it was nonstop. That lure, I laid down and watched it, and that lure was going crazy down there. And I thought to myself, you know, I knew what it was doing because I've always tested all this stuff in swimming pools. So I know what the specific presentation is doing before I ever put it in the water. You know, that's one of the most important things that anybody can do is, is know what their, you know, uh, certain bait or certain thing is going to do before they ever put it in the water. Therefore, they've got that imprinted in their mind and they, it's, one of the best things anybody can do to actually improve their fishing. So, Pat, it sounds well, like you're a, a fish hunter, not a not a fisherman, right? You're you're out specifically targeting this species this time and trying to get the biggest and the best. And it, it reminisces a little bit of my mind to, you know, I like to do a lot of waterfowling, like to do elk hunting, like to do turkey hunting, and you know, a lot of times you're doing a, a vocal presentation. But I, I've noticed even in in my fishing experience where you can have two fishermen, the same fly, the same stretch of river, and you've got one guy just just killing it, and it's because that last 10% of effort to get that presentation just to the way the fish really want to accept it. What what would you say is your, you know, your go-to strategy to when you're, when you're struggling trying to find these fish? I, you know, uh, I, uh, a lot of times I go opposite of what people would think. Okay. I was up at Canada fishing last mountain lake with Tim Jenny, our sales rep up in Canada. And it was in 2000 and I think 12 or 13. And we'd been really uh, doing really good. I mean, catching, five to nine pound walleyes on the red dock low quarter ounce and three eighths ounce pk spoons and the fish really i mean they basically shut off and we were fishing in a group of probably i think about 12 guys were stretched out for maybe 75 yards on this break off this point. And the fish had kind of really, the, the, the bite was really good early, and then it started shutting off and, and basically turned off. And uh, Tim, which is, this guy is is a good fisherman, okay? I mean, he actually just took fourth in the vanity cup up and, one Canada and he's won it twice and first place for that tournament's a hundred thousand bucks so this this ain't no slouch fisherman he know he knows how to catch fish you know walleyes and uh, as soon as these fish starts really getting negative he said I was talking to him he said man I'm gonna size down go smaller and and see if we can you know because I got I can see the fish are coming in looking, but they're not biting it no more. I said, okay, well, let's see what happens. And he sized down, I think, to an 8-ounce PK or 8-ounce flutterfish. 
and I ran over to the truck and I start digging through there and I grabbed a three quarter ounce uh, copper flutter fish, which is much bigger than what we were fishing with, you know, size size wise, you know, three times three times longer and ten times the action. And I started fishing that pretty aggressive, you know. And what I had decided to do is, you know, I'm going to go big. I'm going to show the fish down there something that they can see from a long ways away. And if there happens to be a biter around, maybe I can get him into bite, you know, and I'm going to walk this line of holes that we got drilled up through here for, you know, 75 yards and, and see what happens. I dropped that flutter fish down. I jigged it three times. And, you know, I mean, good three, three to four foot jigs. Ripping that thing pretty good. And I, wham, I get bit. Eight pounder. Reel that fish in, unhook him, throw him back, drop him, that lure back down. Jig about less than five minutes, a five pounder. I caught 12 fish in 45 minutes on that lure, and the smallest one was that five-pounder. Every one of them was from five to nine pounds, and I was walking right in between these guys that were fishing with that smaller stuff and not getting bit. It, you know, I mean, it, uh, and when you start doing something like that, when you see how effective a presentation is like that, when most guys are saying, oh, they've shut off, we got to go smaller, we got to do, or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't do that. You know, when they, when they shut off, the, my train of thought on it is there's got to be a, an aggressive, hungry fish still somewhere around here. So I fish a presentation that, you know, a fish from 25 or 50 feet away can see, you know, and if they want to come in and bite it, they'll come in and bite it, you know. And I'll tell you, it's just worked so many times that, you know, I uh, it's a go-to presentation for me when when things are, are negative. I was up at Glendo Ice Fishing a couple years ago, and it was like that. We fished all the good old time baits that we'd done really good on, and, and it was slow. I mean, we were we were struggling. And I put on a three-quarter ounce copper flutter fish and started ripping it and started catching fish. And it's, you know, I mean, it's, uh, like I say, a reaction creates a reaction. Uh, but if, if, the, if a hungry or aggressive fish that's 50 or 60 feet away can't see your presentation because you're sitting there twitching it down off the bottom 10 or 12 inches, you know, they're not going to know. But you get a a big flashy lure on that's, that you're ripping off the bottom as high as six and eight feet every once in a while that's what i do then i'll bring it down on the bottom jig it down there for a little bit if i don't get bit i get it back up there a couple times six eight feet and i'll even actually hold it at that depth with my rod in the air and give it 12 14 inch pops so a fish from a further distance away can can see it and we'll come over to it you know and and uh it's been really really effective for me for a long long time so now when when you say a hunter you know well fishing is like hunting and i'll tell you the successful people at it are the ones that are willing to work harder than your than than your average guy that just goes out you know sets down on a bucket and jig the rod all day or a guy that's willing to go out you know to hit an area drill 75 holes and if you don't get bit move and drill another 75 and move and drill another 75 until you until you find them you know the truly successful people are the ones that are good fishermen and are willing to work for a successful day so there's a quote out there that i uh, 
I've heard a lot, and I really like it. And it's, uh, you know, 80% of the fish or game are harvested by 20% of the fishermen or hunters, right? And so do you want to be in the 80% or in the 20% where you're it just, and it comes down to work ethic and, and working at it and really paying attention to, you know, I, I can think of turkey hunting or archery hunting or even, even halibut fishing when I've been doing that. You'll watch people who are jigging, you know, six, eight feet, really ripping that jig, and they'll catch a lot of halibut, but it's those smaller fish that will leave the bottom and come take that bait, right? The big fish, if you really consistently want to stay on big fish, halibut bottom fishing, I mean, you want to be jigging, but those big fish are a lot more lethargic and they're slower. And so if you're if you're jigging way up high, you're not going to get a big fish to come up fast. You're going to get a little one to come get it. So I agree with you, Pat. Well, yes, and to go to your hypothesis about the the small fish willing, and they they are they are the smaller fish are much more willing to to zip up to get something to to zip around to get something. The big fish, you know, is it's kind of like this. They're not going to use four times more energy to go catch something than they're going to get from that. But that knowledge and experience so, comes from being out there and, and learning that, right, and paying attention to well, how the fish react to your lure. Well, yeah, and, and how they react to, I mean, like I say, so many years of laying on the ice watching these fish react to different presentations it was very enlightening to me uh, as far as my knowledge of, of basically a little bit about how fish acts and, and thinks and stuff you know so so as you've grown very, as a fisherman as you've grown as a fisherman, you know, from that little boy sitting there watching these fish react till now, what's, what's you know, kind of changed? How have you kept that spark of, I've got to, is it, some? and some guys go down the road of, hey, I've got to chase bigger fish or, or more quantity. How have you kept that spark alive from that, you know, little boy sitting on the ice watching fish react? Well, you know, I don't know. I'd have to just say that, you know, it's, I believe personally that it's how God created me. You know, I mean, I'm just, uh, it's just something that I've always been passionate about. There's been a drive that, that just drives me to always do better at fishing. When you talk about the, the 20% of the fishermen catching the fish, I always heard that it was 10% of the fish, fishermen catch 90% of the fish. Okay? It's probably true with nothing also. Oh, it's, I can remember but, chasing steelhead as a boy. I went with my dad in the Pacific Northwest, and we, a good weekend, we'd put two fish in the boat, right? It's just, they're, they're a tough fish. I finally got in college hooked up with a, just a, I call them fish hunters. Not a fisherman, he's a fish hunter. And we did some days where we did 14 steelhead in the boat. It's just phenomenal. Well, he was dialed in on them, you know, and and that's another thing that your listeners want to never be too proud to ask somebody. Because I'll tell you what, you'll go fishing. You might have a 12-year-old a kid put it on you. You go fishing, you might have a 75-year-old man put it on you. When you get too good to ask and talk and find out and share information, then you're as good as you're going to get. All right? The best you'll ever be is when, when you're willing to share what you have with someone else, and it'll come back to you. I mean, this... This isn't something that I just came up with, uh, the Pat O'Grady way to catch fish. You know, this is 50 years of, you know, of uh, trial and error and and everything else. So, Pat, you know, with all that 50 years of trial and error, what is, uh, what's one fish recipe? What's, what's one fish that you, you 
specifically target t- to eat? And what's a recipe you really, really crave? Well, you know, I, I love fish. You know, I love, I love trout. I play everything. So there's no bones in it. And I love walleye. I've just recently been going up to Glendo and catching a lot of nice, you know, 12 to 14 inch crappie. And I really like those. I mean, really like them. I don't, I used to deep fry years ago, but I don't anymore. I, uh, you know, if I'm having fish, uh, I just basically uh, fry it in butter, and I use nature seasoning. And uh, I actually like, I found a, a ground habanero peppers, and I like sprinkling a little bit of that on it. Now, I've been looking for it. I ran out, and I can't find any more, but I did come across some some ground jalapeno peppers careful when you're using it because if you take a sniff you're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be sorry you know but i like i like sprinkling some of that on there it gives it a little spice a little kick and and uh that's basically how i do my fish now you know uh i i don't i don't deep fry in oils anymore uh and you can really tell when don't do it because the last two times I've eaten fish and chips out at restaurants, I got violently sick. You know, I just cannot eat a lot of deep fried food. My body just don't act good to it. You know, if I do fry, it's in olive oil or butter, and that's and that's that. That's cool. But um, that walleye with a little of that uh, jalapeno pepper on there and nature seasoning and fried and butter until it's crispy is man i'm telling you that sounds good i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna have to try that now um i did want to ask you about something that i had the pleasure of being uh affiliated with you back when when this happened but i remember early days of pk lures the the struggle of getting it off the ground you know, getting people to actually notice you, you know, is, is really difficult in the fishing world because you've got these huge companies, you know, that are just, they dominate everything, you know, and I remember going to ICAST with you and uh, just seeing how big some of these vendors are, you know, with the 80,000 square foot, you know, setup and different things like that. So I remember uh, you mentioned Tim Jenny just a little bit ago. I remember him having a special catch that kind of, kind of, help spring PK lures a little bit in, in the public's eye because of the catch that he made with that catch and release walleye. So I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about that. Cause David, my co-host here, he's, he's launching a product himself. And so I talked to him a little bit about kind of the big break that you had. So I was wondering if you could just tell a little bit of that story. Well, uh, I was up in Canada and it was uh, the first time I went. We were fishing last mountain lake, and we were like catching these fish. Like, I mean, that it's incredible fishing up there. If anybody ever gets a chance, last mountain lake or uh, Tobin, I like last mountain lake because it's 400 miles <laughs> closer, you know. But uh, we were up, and we were filming a commercial. We had a film crew from Wisconsin come up, and uh, the second day, Tim hooked a fish, and we flipped the camera over on it. We're filming this whole thing, and lo and behold, he reels in a 14-and-a-half-pound, 33-and-three-quarter-inch walleye, which is... You know, it was not a world record catch and keep because that was 17 pounds a few ounces out of Tobin. But we released it, and we had all this on video. And we started looking at it when we uh, 
were done fishing, and I was on my way home from Saskatchewan, and Tim called me up and he said, because, I mean, we measured it. If they don't go by weight, catch and release don't go by weight. It's it's just simply length. And he called me and he said, this thing is a world record catch and release, Pat. I said, really? He says, yeah. He says, uh, I'm going to submit for it. And I said, wow. I, I told him, I said, that don't surprise me because that was a big fish. You know, I mean a big fish and I got off the phone after talking with him for a few minutes and I called Al Linder you know I'm friends with Al I guided Al and Jim Linder I guide I've taken a lot of the people within fishermen fishing and uh, I called Al Linder and told him I said uh, that I was just up at last mountain lake and Saskatchewan and uh, Tim caught this fish we got it on video that we were filming a commercial and that it's you know and, and possibly a new state for world record catch and release I told Al I said Tim's going to submit for it, but you know we can't claim it yet because it isn't until it's until the his certificate's been given you know, so I told Al, I said, you know, do me a favor, and you know, we don't want it going out on the airwaves or nothing because uh, we don't know for sure until he gets the certificate. And by the time I got home, from east to west, the word was out. <laughs> Al had made a couple calls with the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame and talked to the people, told them what happened. And they said, oh, man, if they got a video and everything else, this is, yeah, it's a world record catch and release. So that's actually what, you know, made PK really really known mostly in Canada and a, a lot in the US too but mostly in Canada uh, our our sales the next year up in Canada exploded you know it's uh, we're still working on it down here you know I actually sold PK two years ago to a fish nut in North Dakota and I'm still heavily involved with him as a designer, you know. And uh, basically the struggle of, uh, had, had basically about wore me out, you so know. So you're, you're kind of on the sunset of the entrepreneurship cycle, right? You were... A designer, then an inventor, then the entrepreneur, then the small business owner, and then you grew it to a point where you sold it. As that journey, I mean, as if you could give advice to somebody else, I mean, sounds like it wore you out, but would you do it again? You know, uh, I would. I would do it again, but I would prefer it not to be in 2009 right after the worst financial collapse in the, in the <laughs> you know, history of this country. You know, I mean, if we could have done this uh, 20 years ago, things would have been much, much easier, you know. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to give people out there the illusion that, you know, that this was easy because it truly isn't, you know, it's, it's it's not easy. You're going you're going into the ring with literally dozens and dozens and dozens of Mike Tyson's. You know, I mean, Rapala, and uh, I mean, so many big, big, powerful companies that these people do not want to lose one square inch of their shelf space to anybody. 
you know. And uh, it's a very difficult thing to do. So, you know, I don't want to give anybody the illusion that it's going to be something easy to do. It's not. But, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a young man anymore. And uh, I know this that anything really, truly worthwhile in this life does not come easy. You know, I mean, uh, it's, it's just like going out and catching the fish. If, if you're the kind of fisherman that goes out and sits on a bucket and, and drills six holes a day, then, then I would say don't ever try this, you know, because if you're not willing to go out and and drill three, four hundred holes a day to find them, to seek and find what you're after, then it's going to be a very difficult thing. But if, you know, if you're the type of person that you're willing to put some work into it and, and gifted in the business realm better than I was, because to be honest with you, that's where I've always been lacking is the business end of it, okay? I was an okay designer, and I knew how to design things. I knew, I knew I could envision something in my mind and then bring it to life. And uh, I was really good at that. But I, I wasn't good at managing I, I was, but I didn't like it, you might say, of managing bookkeepers and bankers and shippers. And, I mean, that wasn't, I could do it, but it wasn't something that, you know, that I was uh, really, really good at because it wasn't something that I really, really liked, you know. So somebody that's gifted in that, in that way, you know, if uh, they get their hands on the right products, they could probably do wonders with it, you know. So uh, the, the guy that I sold this company to, is he's a fish nut, okay? That was one of, the, one of the main reasons I sold it to him was just his passion for fishing. But he also had the funds to take PK places that I knew that would take me another five or six or seven years to get to. And I'm 66 years old. I didn't want to wait that long. So, you know, I sold it and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm at peace with it. Uh, I enjoy my life now. I get to, I get to go fishing when I want with the people who I want to go with and and uh, test out new things, and and uh, it's just everything has come together, you know, at a particular time. It wouldn't have come together if, you know, if things wouldn't have worked out for us with, like, that world record catch and release that Tim caught. And it was a relationship that I built up to that point with the lenders from Men Fisherman and and, you know, I, I knew Matt Straw, Doug Stangy, Jeff, I knew all those guys, you know. So I was always sending them lures to test and try and use. And, and they all said they had the their box from the Wyoming designer. They, call, they called me the, the Wyoming designer. They, they knew what I was. You know, they surely weren't calling me the Wyoming businessman. <laughs> but, you know. They all had their PK boxes and, you know, and really, really liked them. And, yeah. So I want to touch on something you, know. you, you picked up there for a second. And it was, uh, you know, whether, whether you're in business or fishing or elk hunting, you know, I've, I've noticed, you know, I have some okay success elk hunting. And we put a lot of hours in. We put a lot of time in. There's a lot of days that we leave, you know, two hours before daylight, hit the trail. We're hiking an hour or so before daylight just to get to where I want to be when the sun comes up. And there's a lot of days I'm not back to camp till 9, 10, 11. And if we're, 
And we're doing that because we're in grizzly country. I mean, I'd be just staying out there all night in a backpack tent if I wasn't in grizzly country. But, you know, the same thing I noticed waterfowlers, you know, businessmen, fishermen. There's the guys that are loading their truck up before before daylight and they're they're punching holes all night and fishing or doing whatever even business guys you know showing up an hour before the day actually starts to get a a jump on things and then there's the guys that stroll in five minutes for work you know they they stroll in five minutes for daylight they try and get the leftover decoy spot for duck hunting or whatever and those guys are always the ones complaining a little bit about the lack of success the lack of harvest and i think i think you touched on as you really you've got to put Put your money where your mouth is and just put the time in. Well, like I say, uh, that was one of the other things about this guy sold the company to. Uh, his Part of his background was wrestling. And he wrestled for the United States Marine Corps. And they flew him all over the world. Wrestled the best wrestlers in the world. And this guy was uh, rated the sixth best wrestler in the United States. And I thought, this is the kind of guy, because I had a brother that was a state champion wrestler when we were growing up. And wrestling is a tough sport, man. And I thought, this is the kind of guy that gets a hold of something and don't let it go. You know, and uh, he, he, he will make this a success. I mean, on it is a success now. I mean, we probably sold close to three quarters of a million lures, maybe more. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, you think about that because, you know, I've, I've talked to friends and people about the struggles in it, and they, they've told me, listen, you, you don't, you're looking at it from the wrong side of the coin. You need to look at it from how many people out there are using your product and having the best day fishing they've ever had? You know, hundreds, thousands. That's, that's a success story. And it is, you know. But when you're, you know, when you're in business, uh, success comes on different levels. And I've never felt that we weren't successful on that level. But like I say, when you're going into the ring with a company that's doing $700 million a year in business and they oppose you, it isn't easy. And and that isn't just the fish and tackle industry. You know, I mean, that's, that's any industry out there. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there, man. I mean, <laughs> there's uh, it isn't going to be an easy, an easy deal. So... That's why I felt that this particular guy with his wrestling background uh, and his passion for fishing was a good a good match for PK. You know what I mean? We had the product, and this guy could move it to the to the next level and the next level and the next level. So, and at this point, he's he's doing a great job. You know, I mean, in the first couple months after he bought this company, he added 250 new lures. We were running 150 SKUs uh, when he bought it, and within a few months, we were up to 400. And now we're up to over 500. I don't even know. It's hard to keep track. He drives people crazy with his adding product i mean mike ramish out of michigan is he's running crazy all the time trying to you know get photography get his card design for the packaging for i mean it's it's been non-stop for him too you know and so and as far as i'm concerned uh i love it now because i don't have to do any of that all i have to do is come up with another silly idea that catches fish and if this guy likes it he does it then someone else has to take care of the the <laughs> cruddy part of the work you know i i right. get the good part so oh cool yeah and pat um 
we're going to kind of wrap this thing up here, but I want to definitely give you an opportunity to kind of tell people about how they can get a hold of these lures. I've, I, I can tell you just as a personal testimony over the last 10 years of using these lures, whether it be the crankbaits, the jigs, the spoons, um, they are all very effective. And I like buying something that I know is designed by somebody here in Wyoming, you know, somebody that's, you know, down to earth like you are. And so if you could just share for just a second how people can get a hold of these lures, um, that would be awesome. Well, I know that, uh, I and you probably know better than I do, Rocky Mountain Discount Sports and Riverton. Yep. Are they in there still, Pat? Yep, they've still got some, and sportsmen's warehouses across the state have them. So there's some places you can buy them from for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, there it isn't like there's, a, you know, a half a dozen retail outlets in your part of the country that, you know, that a guy would work with up there. I know that uh, we've got an online store. It's PK Lure, and uh, guys can check out new product there. And I know the the new owner, because money isn't much of an issue with him, you know, I really had to watch the dollars pretty carefully when uh, when I owned the company and was doing it. We, I mean, we had a budget that we were working with every year, and this guy is has a lot more funds to work with than we do. And he actually came out with what was the first tungsten lure, and. Uh, Last year came out with a 16-ounce tungsten predator, and it's a little itsy-bitsy thing, but it's weighty. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he did that thing, and I would have never done it, Pat, to be honest with you. I was too, I mean, I, I just didn't have the funds to work with to make something like that. Tungsten is very expensive, you know, and he brought those in. And I don't know how many, I think a thousand of each color. And I was saying to myself, man, it's going to be a while before he sells these because they retail, they're pretty pricey, you know, but anything in tungsten is. And he's completely sold every one of those. And <clears throat> he is now next year going to be coming out with an eight ounce tungsten predator. He in another couple weeks, going to have a <coughs> rattle spoon. He's making rattle spoons in quarter and three-eighths ounce PK spoons that got rattles in them, and it's hologrammed on one side and painted on the other. These lures are going to be killer dills, you know. Uh, he's, he's meeting a lot of need out there that would have taken us a long, long time to meet. You know, when you're when you're running 500 skews and your minimums on each lures, you know, uh, 500 when you buy them, it's uh, that's you're talking a pretty good chunk of change to to place an order. You know what I mean? Yep. So, and and I can tell all the anglers here that fish Boyson and uh, Lake Kamiawate or Bass Lake, that those little 16th-ounce tungsten predator lures are absolute killers. There was a young man went to CWC here um, named Ben that was slaying the 15-inch crappie with them, and uh, there were other guys just really hammering the perch with them this last winter. So, um, yeah, they're incredible lures, and, and they are weighty. For such a little lure, you wouldn't expect it, but... They're quite weighty and they're very, very effective. So, um, but Pat, yeah, I, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the show today. Um, it, again, it's, it's just such a cool thing to talk about, you know, fishing success story from Wyoming. I know a lot of people played into that and, um, I just really appreciate you taking the time, uh, to spend some time with us and talk about it and talk about kind of what it takes, uh, to do that. And we appreciate it. Pat, I got one cool. final question for you. Before before yeah. we let you get out of here, if you had to pick one season, one species, one place to go, what what and what would it be? 
man, that's a hard one, guys. You know, uh, most people be able to come up with an answer for that fairly quickly. I, I, I love trout fishing. Uh, Wheatland three has been really good fishing the past few years here. And, uh, I was actually up there this spring with my brother and we were fishing and he caught a 34 and a half inch brown trout. And I love walleye fishing. You know, I mean, I really do, but let's face it, guys. There's no walleyes that bite like seven, eight pound rainbows. <laughs> That's a fact. And it's just, it's so fun and exciting when you are catching fish like that. Uh, my, one of my biggest passions is ice fishing. I love to ice fish, but as I get older, it gets harder. You know, I mean, uh, I'm not doing like I used to do. I just slowed down quite a bit. We found a couple spots, Rich Papper and me, that I, he's a friend of mine that I fish with a lot, that uh, we absolutely were going up to Seminole last winter ice fishing and, and catching 40 rainbows from 18 to 22 inches in four or five hours. You know, it's just, it's just a blast to, to catch fish like that. And it wasn't too far from where we had to put in. It wasn't like we were running across 15 or 20 miles of, of ice to get to it. So, you know, I'd have to say something like that, you know, uh, you don't have to haul a boat to get to it. You can, you know, pick a decent day, which there's a lot of in the winter. You watch the weather, you can pick days that you can go out there that are absolutely beautiful. And I mean, uh, I just, I, I love that, to, to be out there in the winter on a nice day and not be struggling with the weather and and uh, catching, you know, when you're catching trout like that, it's, and we were actually using the three-quarter ounce and half-ounce gold flutter fish. That's been a top producer for me for all species for a long time. And uh, that's just, that's fun. That's, I, I love that. That's you know? awesome. Yeah, well, thanks again, Pat. We really appreciate it. Again, everybody, if you want to get out there and try some of these lures, you can find them at your local retailers like Rocky Mountain. Uh, I know Sportsman's and Casper and Cheyenne have them as well. Um, and then, uh, of course, pklure.com. You can go there and check them out. Uh, you can also check them out on Facebook. So, uh, again, Pat, thank you so much for visiting with us today, and we'll look forward to talking to you again sometime. Okay, Pat, you have a... You have a good winter up there, guys. You know, good fishing and good hunting. All right. You too, Pat. You be safe out there. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. Bye-bye. And now it's time for the Radcast Outdoors Recipe of the Week, made possible by High Mountain Seasonings, a Riverton, Wyoming company. Stop in and see them on College View Drive in Riverton. You can find their products in Cabela's and Bass Pro Shop or in all kinds of small-town mom-and-pop stores all across Wyoming and the country. Go to HighMountainJerky.com for more. That's H-I-M-T-N Jerky.com. And right now, use promo code HMS10. That's HMS10 for 10% off your next order. All right, so this week's recipe is from the legendary Pat O'Grady, the guy who founded PK Lures. Um, Pat was on our show recently and uh, was sharing one of his favorite ways to cook white meat fish. So, like, if you've been out there and you've caught walleye, crappie, perch, something like that, bluegill, um, he shared this recipe. So it's pretty simple. All you're going to need is a good skillet. So I, I know I prefer a cast iron skillet. Um, you're going to want some butter. You're going to want some jalapeno pepper seasoning and some salt and pepper. And all you're going to want to do on, on these white fish, they don't take very long to cook, is you're going to want to heat your skillet up. 
You're going to drop that butter in there, get it melted. You're going to drop that fish on there on top with the seasoning on it. And then you're going to cook it for about a minute or two on each side. And just to, you know, whatever way that you prefer to have that fish cooked. And then you're going to take it off and enjoy it. So um, if you want to add a little extra flavor, I definitely recommend um, High Mountain Seasonings has a gourmet fish western style seasoning. Um, It's excellent on any kind of fish. Um, I like it on white fish particularly. Um, So you can get that on their website or at your local retailers. Radcast Outdoors is recorded in the Porter's 10Cast Studio. It's hosted by David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. It's produced by Jared Anderson. To contact the show, email 10cast at county10.com. For more Wyoming podcasts, follow 10cast on Facebook.